This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Domestic violence is not a new issue in the military, nor is it a small issue. According to a December 2019 report to Congress titled Military Families and Intimate Partner Violence, Background and Issues for Congress, there were 16,912 reported incidents in fiscal year 2018, and there has been little change in the rate or number of reported incidents since FY 2009. In fact, there has been little change in more than 20 years as there were more than 18,000 reports annually as far back as 2001. And these are just the reported incidents. The Bureau of Justice Statistics found that law enforcement is notified in only half of domestic violence incidents. Lara's experience reveals the human side of these statistics, which affect not just those in military bases, but in households all over the world. Lara M. Sabanash reveals her emotional decades-long story of fear, deceit, and abuse that ends with the disappearance and death of her husband. Lara provides a unique perspective of being trapped in the same failed domestic abuse system that she worked for, and is sharing her experience in hopes to bring about change in the system and mindset of the abused. They are not alone. Valeria Tellez interviews Lara M. Sabanash the author of Caged, the true story of abuse, betrayal, and GTMO. Lara Sabanash grew up in various parts of the country and for a time lived overseas in Guantanamo Bay, where she was an education service facilitator at the Fleet and Family Support Center and became acting director in December 2013. She spent much of her adult life as a wife, mother, and student eventually completing two doctoral degrees. Six years in the making, her new book, Caged, is an honest and introspective memoir detailing the never-before-told other side of an international headline story, taking readers through the first 20 years of her tumultuous marriage to Christopher Turr to events as she lived them on the night he went missing and the aftermath. Sabanash is currently retired from the government service residing quietly in Pensacola, Florida, surrounded by her loving family, dogs, and grandpuppies. Meet Lara at larasabinash.com. Here is the interview with Lara M. Sabinash. In your own words, who is Lara M. Sabanash? 
Well, um, I'm a survivor of domestic violence, mother, daughter, author, recently, um, writer, and um, these. I'm retired at this point, but I'm turned over into a, a role of advocate at this point. I feel that even though I've retired from my roles in a traditional sense, I spent many years either teaching, counseling, and working the traditional nine to five. I have now looked to take what I've done in my life experiences and become a, an advocate as I have worked in those roles and um, getting out there for people who maybe I can help help them see that there are things that are better and change for the uh, difference in somebody's life. It's beautiful to see uh, human beings going through experiences, tough ones, challenging experiences, and then uh, learning lessons and then passing that on. It's the most beautiful thing I can think of. I often say that and because it's so clear to me. So thank you, Laura. Thank you. And uh, my second official question, the, the opening questions, is about love. What is love to you? What is your understanding of love? For myself, I think we have, at least for me, I guess at, at my age, you know, we have grown up with fairy tale ideas that, you know, we... As young women, we think that, you know, uh, somebody's going to come in, sweep us off our feet, ride off into the sunset, live happily ever after. <laughs> and, <laughs> you, know, so true. you know, and that sounds so romantic and beautiful, but, you know, love really is in its core should be a partnership, not somebody who stands behind you or in front of you, but somebody that stands at that core partnership somebody that stands next to you, that you can rely on, that understands every fear, and you can share your most intimate details without that reprisal that's not used against you. And it's reciprocal. So for men and women, it's for the long haul. I think we've come to this idea, whether it's through social media through these concepts that, you know, that people want to, uh, oh, I, I can't tell you that, I'll tell somebody else that. Um, and love is you, I'm my best, my worst. And so, but a partnership. And it's everything I should be able to be completely safe in for both people. Sometimes, to me, it's the all-encompassing package there are people who have love in, you know, they talk about their best friends, they talk about family, but we forget about that intimate relationship. We place different compartmental pieces. We don't seem to have that same concept when it comes to the person that we want to wake up and go to bed with every night. Yeah. It's so true. The question that comes to mind is, what does it take for us to experience this kind of love, the partnership love? Is that something that takes doing the healing work ourselves to be able to identify these qualities in others or something else, Lara? Honesty. We get fixated on 
a surface. There are so many studies out there that talk about, you know, when, you know, people, the physical attraction that doesn't last and, uh, you know, it goes, you know, that that honeymoon phase of dating and marriage. And it's why it's called the honeymoon phase. But you get together with somebody and, you know, there's that they look a certain way, they act a certain way, and but they're very surface and you're not seeing all of somebody. And so we never quite get to the parts of somebody that may or may not be that whole portion of what we need for a partner. Have you experienced this kind of love? No. (laughs) In all honesty, no. And maybe that's the fairy tale. When we talk about that happily ever after, it's that attainable that there are those that have someone that they, have I seen it? Sure, I have, you know, for people that can, when something is so tragic and they are still there with somebody through the worst moments and then the best moments. And, you know, there are people that have been, you know, my grandparents were married over 60 years and my parents are still married over 40 years and through wonderful and through not wonderful. Yes, I've seen it. Uh, I know it can exist, but it's something everyone should aspire to. It's something I would love my children. It's the measure that if we should all be there for, have I? No, but it's worth trying for. (laughs) True. (laughs) Yeah, I am my third marriage and it's a challenge. I mean, yeah, that's, I love what you're saying because it's not just beautiful moments and good times. It's also the difficult ones. So it's life itself happening. That's what I see. It kind of uh, resembles life. So it's not just one thing. Another question I have is about that I mentioned off record is about the connection between love and abuse. How is that possible? It's not. Right. And, you know, I'm sure there are people that would not agree you know, I think the great tragedy in that is there the belief in the moment, even for myself, is nobody ever sets out and says, I'm marrying this abuser because I love him and I'm going to um, endure it because I love him or her. It, that's not how it ever starts out. At the beginning, what is love? But it You can go back to when we were talking about that honeymoon phase, the love is surface. You're loving what you believe in a surface kind of way until you get to, I guess, the masks are off and you begin to start to really see the individual as who they really are. And so love and abuse is they can't go hand in hand because you don't hurt people that you love. I don't believe you can love someone that hurts you. You can feel in some respects beholden in both ways. You feel you're not worthy of something else. And this is all I'm getting. It becomes 
kind of a mindset. But there to say that it's love, no, I don't think that love and abuse belong together. I agree a billion times with that. <laughs> yes, no. I have heard before that love doesn't hurt. I think the only way that love can hurt is when we lose people we love. Then it's called grief, right? That's different. And speaking of that, how was it for you? I know I'm already tapping into the book. <laughs> there was a second sure. section. How would you describe the experience of losing someone that had been abusive? Yeah, did you still grieve the same? I'm not alone in individuals who lose their partners who are also abusive. It's an odd feeling because we don't divorce our abusers, which is a struggle into itself because you deal with, there's a whole nother process there that individuals deal with. But to have your abuser pass away and to go through the grief process, because we grieve on multitude of levels, to try to process, one, an individual who's passed away, which is somebody I spent half my life with, and in a capacity that, in one aspect, was somebody that I had spent telling me that he was all that I was ever going to get. So when you're listening to that, and now he's passed away, and even though at that point in my life, it was the marriage had ended. And so I wanted to be on my own two feet. So now I struggled with, but I could do this. But that was me standing on my own two feet. But now I had to deal with grief because he had passed. And it was not the way I felt it should have happened. And I now I'm grieving for my children because they lost his father or their father. I'm now dealing with, well, what else were they losing and the process? And so it, it was a very overwhelming time period because now I'm feeling the guilt of, well, he could have had this. So I took on his guilt and mine, mine for, you know, grief process and I wanted him to be a better person. And so it's a harder process because we take on a lot of other things during that time period. And then of course, I then took on a lot of other things because it happened to get um, so publicized. So it was very easy to then shrink away, not only continue to listen to what I had processed from him for years, but now start processing other things from a larger a narrative. So the grief at times was very overwhelming. It became a network of process to get through that at that time. So, yeah. Um, but I know that that's, it's not, we're not alone in survivor's guilt and grief at the same time. I have never had the experience. I think I had briefly my ex-husband. He died, but I was, um, we were divorced and I was away from him for many years. So I guess I still felt it, but it's different. Thank you so much again, Laura, for to write about this and to talk about it and to make this, from my view, a, a mission to share the message of healing that we can go through experiences like this and 
do amazing things after as you doing. So thank you. And with that in mind, I want to ask you another question about the healing journey, your healing journey. Is that something that it still goes on? It's an ongoing process or you have reached the point of a destination for that kind of healing? Oh, absolutely. Um, healing for me, it's an definitely an ongoing process, but it's a healthy ongoing process. I think for people on the outside, there is a misunderstanding that whether our abusers have passed or we've divorced or we don't live in the area with them, that there is great relief. And so we're good. It's fantastic. We're, we're done. But it's not that easy. And it's a whether we have to start over or we have to find a way of moving on we have to find ourselves, which for myself is finding myself after almost 20 years of living in a domestic violence situation. The most healthy thing for myself was not thinking I was going to do it alone. It's been a very good process, but it will be an ongoing and finding healthy support networks, people that I surround, whether it's family, friends, therapy, but it's a continued to not change the message that I heard for so long, but rekindling the message that was already there in my own mind. That's a very powerful and insightful message. So it starts with us, right, Laura? It's, a, it's something that we believe in within ourselves, and then in some way that becomes real, and then we just attract those people or things. Absolutely. Ah, yeah, that makes so much sense to me because it has been my experience too. I've always been here, yeah. but it's just reminding myself that I am here. Mm. And what I heard for so long isn't real. Mm. And yeah. there are so many people out there that just live and believe mm. what they hear, but it's getting the message back through that who they are as a core is the right message. Do you have any spiritual practices or belief systems? I'm Christian. I stepped away from the church for a while, especially surrounding when my husband had passed. And I found myself in a very lonely place. It made me draw within. So as I pulled back to myself and even before he had passed, I kind of withdrew. I was withdrawing from a lot of people. When you're starting to ask for help and you're not feeling as if anyone's hearing. And, and then as he passed, I felt as if people were hearing even less. As I withdrew more and more, you know, honestly, my parents were extremely supportive. And I had a one-on-one -on -one with my dad. We were actually out in front of a hotel and it was so cold. You know, he had, um, <laughs> kind of makes me tear up a little. He had a, a conversation and it was just, if I needed anything, he was always there. He never pushed. He never 
you know, and if I, he would ask if I wanted to come back to church with him and if I wanted just to come sit with him and he would send me some things and he was like, he'd just tell me he'd pray for me. And as we went along and, um, I just wasn't interested in pretty much anything. I just sat in my own little head, but as time went on and as they have retired since near me as well. I have found myself venturing back with them. Um, and even if it has meant, you know, watching them remotely, but it took me some time to get back. And it was honestly with my dad just saying, I'm always here. There's nobody who's going to look at you or we're just here for you. And so I reconnected with my faith and I wasn't alone. That was where I realized there was more for me than just being alone. And, and, uh, you know, I have people who surround me of all walks of life and thoughts and spirituality it grew from there in my support networks, but it actually started the night that my dad had had that in his, he probably doesn't even remember, but it was just a, a really kind conversation. I no longer felt like the world was coming down on me. Oh, wow. It's interesting they use the word kind because that's what I thought that came to me, that word. That's that's love. That's kindness. Uh, just being there without any judgments and just listening, create that space, embracing others while they go through what they have to go through, unfortunately. I love that, Laura. Yeah. Say hi to him for me. <laughs> I became a fan already (laughs) of his kindness, kind heart. What do you think the purpose of life is? Oh, that's such an open question. To me, you know, the purpose of life should be to enjoy while we are here in kindness. And there are so many wonderful people and moments that we can enjoy while we are here and in the short time that we are here and things to see and embrace, I have had the opportunity to go different places and meet wonderful people and some compassionately lovely people. And I think it is sad to me um, when people don't take advantage of the time they have here to enjoy what life has to offer with the all the advantages, especially today, with the knowledge. And if I think that while we are here to embrace, whether it's learning from somebody that has had a lot of time, enjoying time around a table, time traveling, But we just waste so much time with anger and being unkind and mean. I think that it's just, that's a waste. There are so many more things that we could be doing with life while we're here. And we rob another person 
when we act that way. When people behave that way, you, you rub yourself. So true. That's another powerful message uh, and reminder for all of us. I agree. Ah, uh, yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> I could just go on and on with that message <laughs> because so true. We waste so much time. Yes. So you wrote the book, Caged, The True Story of Abuse, Betrayal, and GTMO. Talk to me for a moment about the main inspiration and the intention of writing your book, Lara. So then, uh, the reason that it came out was my husband had passed away, well, at this point, it is seven years ago this week. When he passed away, it had hit international headlines. When it hit international headlines, we were stationed at the Naval Station in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. When it hit international headlines, the narrative that started to be populated became a one-sided story. And as the one-sided story that came out in those headlines, I was told that it was better if I didn't say anything. And then as time went on, one side was given opportunities to create a narrative of my late husband that didn't exist and attacked me in social media and in other ways. It still continues today. And then even my daughters were told it would be better if you didn't say anything. It basically created a caged environment, which was led to the title of while he was even in death, he was elevated to a status that he never held. And we were silenced even after. And so the idea of the book was, this is so wrong. And I know other women out there, I know men have the same issues, but as a woman, I'm spe I can only speak from what I know. And I know there are other people that deal with this and it's wrong. So the narrative is this is the life that we lived and you're not hearing. I want people to know that what you think you know about the perception is wrong. My husband was not the man that people thought he was. And actually many did know who he was and People didn't speak up. And on military installations, it still happens today. And while the there's intentions to pass better laws or bills or put more money, the, you know, domestic violence in military, you know, for military dependents and even for government employees on uh, overseas installations is terrible. And they deal with it every day. It is a problem that goes underreported and or not reported at all. And it was noted the night that my husband had gone missing that he had assaulted me not once, but three times that evening and had left marks on me. And yet that wasn't the story that was reported. And so... Because, see, then they would have had to account for the domestic violence, but it was much more exciting to talk about the salacious side of a, of a story. Putting a book out about the 20 years prior, which even I deal with today, 
what they want to tell is that, you know, he was a decorated, and I've heard it all, he's a decorated war hero. He is, you know, a, a wonderful father and he was a wonderful husband. No, he was kicked out of the military for drugs and alcohol abuse, which I actually didn't find out until after he died. I had protective orders on him during our marriage. He had DUIs while we were married. And there were DUIs I didn't even know about while we were married. There were things that I had uncovered while we were married that made me question I didn't know him and that he lived in my house. So the perception for people to understand is the media reports gave you somebody. That's not who I was married to. And that's not. And because we even had people who reached out to my children who said, but he was a wonderful father and he loved you. No, no, you did not live in our house. And so the book is to give people a greater understanding of the very dark place that we were living in. And it's not as easy as somebody saying, well, why didn't you leave? There was a far darker thing that was happening in our house. It's really sad to hear that because it is still happening, as you just mentioned. It still happens. Thank you so much again, Laura, for doing what you do, for speaking your truth. That is, to me, that's where healing and authenticity, the most elevated anything that we can perceive or experience come from. Just owning our own truth. And thank you for that, for that courage. Most of us, um, unfortunately, afraid of freedom. As you said that in your book, I love that that there's a fear of freedom. Let me see how you um, wrote that. You said, no one should wait to report abuse. No one should fear freedom. Yeah. It, that's such a powerful message because we are told in this country that we are free. But what kind of freedom do we really have? So I don't know much. I have interviewed actually some, I think, sergeants or... I'm not sure, I'm not familiar with the military terms, but I have talked to some of them who do leadership work. So the question that I have is, what can we do at this point, Lara? I know you're doing your part, which is beautiful. How can we help when it comes to not just domestic abuse, but also related to the military? So, you know, there was the defense bill, which has gone through for this fiscal year as they've been working on it, a, an extremely large document. And, you know, I've gotten gotten a little savvy on understanding things that go through Washington An over 1,300 page document that went through up in Washington that had domestic violence written in there 13 times. And it included the table of contents and a footnote. And as they talked about how they were really going to hit hard this year with domestic violence. And I thought in this over a thousand page document, that's not hitting hard. And then they all championed how they really, really stuck it to it for domestic violence. And I'm like, nope, still didn't. And then they pulled out as they were getting ready to do approvals. They had people who went in behind doors and pulled out a bunch of information. And of course, this also deals with sexual assault, which is also a big problem in the military. And so after they stripped 
stuff in the bill. Then they came back out and everybody patted themselves on the back. And, and I know that there are large groups who have said this was wonderful. It's a huge step in the right direction, but it's not because although there are changes that are being done um, to domestic violence and sexual assault, um, which means that in the punishment levels, there's more that's going to be done going forward. The problem is, is that you have to get there. You have to get to the point where you're going to actually see a punishment. Because at the core levels, when somebody goes to report, which the moment that a dependent says, I'm being abused, I've been assaulted. And on a domestic violence front, the moment that a spouse says, I'm being abused, that's the most dangerous time for an individual. And from there and two years after. And when somebody has the courage to stand out there and say that, now they go through in the military settings. And since I worked with Navy, they go to a committee and a committee is head with a bunch of people who sit there and determine whether or not you may meet a criteria. And that criteria is, you know, well, do we believe you or do we not believe you? And it's a discretionary team. And while they say, well, this is for services, it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not we actually go forward with the service member, they do. And, you know, somebody way up in D.C. will say, oh, that's not how it's supposed to be. Yeah, but it does because these are on the local base levels. And when somebody down there decides that, you know, it might not be private so-and-so, but when staff sergeant or a lieutenant or somebody who's a higher officer and they are important to a mission – and they're the ones that it's been reported on. Mm. That's when commanders or somebody in their leadership levels no longer care whether or not because it's mission essential. There's a saying in the military, it's been going on for years, if the military wanted you to have a wife that they would have issued you one. When a cliche like that has been along for so long, been alive for so long, it's not a cliche. It's real. And so all of these, they're so manipulable that, you know, it's not to say that the support systems that are there or there are bad commanders or because there are some good ones and there are good family service centers. But at the same time, the military is there for a mission and the mission is not the family. It is not the dependent. It is not the spouse. It is for the military's mission. And at the core foundation, if the family is failing, then until the military understands, if you don't have your families in order, your mission fails. That's how they fix it. If you don't put your families in order, if you don't put your service members in order, then your mission will fail. But that's what the problem is. The Marines have God, core, country, and that's the order of which they believe. 
family is not a priority. And none of these military systems do they look at the fact that family is a foundational concept. And so domestic violence, sexual assault is nothing more than a nuisance. And so they write what they call instructions. They put together some trainings. They'll have PowerPoints and they'll shove them out there to the service members And they have government employees, which might be prior spouses or government, prior military civilians who do all the training. They forget, you know, some of us, like myself, they have nothing in service for us either. And so all we're doing is passing, you know, information back and forth with no services in line to actually help anyone. So what was happening, even in places like Getmo, there's really no actual help. So when a situation comes, they don't know what to do with it. Their idea is, well, we'll just get rid of the problem. We'll shove it under the rug. We'll transfer that person someplace else. You know, we'll just get rid of them. And then we don't have to deal with it anymore. Or, you know what, we'll just tell them you know, what happens in their house stays in their house. Let's just pretend it. that's not really what it is. And it's still happening because I've had people who've reached out and, you know, there's still issues that have been happening there in Getmo. They're happening all over the place. So, you know, they can change instructions. They can, Washington can make it look like, oh, but look what we're doing. We're going to make it all better. They can put it out in news media that we've changed the culture. They have not done it. So until they tell the military that we're going to make the foundation of the family, to make it part of the mission that we're going to clean up and we're going to make this as big of a priority. Oh, I know that people will disagree with exactly what I just said because, you know, our mission is to keep the country safe. Well, that includes your family. That should come first, actually. Yeah, because if your family is not safe, then none of us are safe. Right. Yes. Yeah. My children aren't safe. You're not safe. The concepts. And so... It's the idea of creating, it doesn't make anybody soft, it doesn't make anybody weak, it doesn't make any, as a matter of fact, it makes us stronger, makes us an example of what's better. Wow, that's interesting how so many things that I don't know about. (laughs) I was just listening to you, I I didn't know any of this. Although I have interviewed two or three women who have been through sexual abuse in the military. And they have written about too. So a question that I have for you is, I know this process of changing laws and the way the system runs, it might take years, decades, hundreds of years, or it can never happen too. So what is your message for women, those who are in, in the midst of that right now in military families and going through challenges, and those women who are, Thinking, having thoughts to marry, to engage with military men. Sure. You know, for those that are in situations where they're realizing they have recognized that this is they're in domestic violence, you know, people's first reactions are usually to say, oh, leave, get out, run. But that can be, you know, it can be dangerous. And, you know, because you don't know every situation, you don't know 
where they live, what they are going through. And so my first reaction to those that are listening um, and either they know somebody or they are in that currently is to take a step back and to begin to evaluate and to begin safety planning, to think about who they can trust and start to look at how they can get out of that relationship and safely because safety becomes the number one priority because the moment that you report is when things can become, you know, volatile. And so for the individual looking to get out, take a step back and take a deep breath and you can, you can do it have a support network, have somebody that you feel you can trust, you can lean on and look at the resources of who you can and make the report to safely as you're maneuvering the system. There are wonderful resources out there. And if you're in the military system and looking to report for the Navy, it is, they're called DAVAs. It's a domestic violence advocate. They are 24 hours a day, and you can also contact, if you're not in the States, every military installation will have somebody for you to contact. I know because I had a wonderful domestic violence advocate when I was there, and she was, uh, I wouldn't have known what to do without her. And if you are looking to, I am I'm very pro-military, and my father is a military vet, If you're looking to, or you're dating, be aware and ask questions and be knowledgeable. When I first met my husband, even though my dad was a military vet, I was not knowledgeable. There are social media now. You can get a a lot of information. Military One Source is a website that if people are unaware of, There is, for those that become part of the dependent system, they have a whole world of information. But there is um, information on there, too, for those that want to gain an understanding of generalized information. And that, I think, would be a good start if you're trying to, to get, and they do, It's everything from mental health services to just understanding basic knowledge. And we used to pair with them years ago. There's a lot of information out there for people, whether you're young and dating or my age and dating. And you can help yourself by becoming knowledgeable. And like you said, if you're unfamiliar with ranks and terms, It's easy to be swayed by the romance and to help yourself. I feel like we don't ask enough questions. And this, I think that there's the only stupid question is the one we don't ask. Mm, Yes, (laughs) I agree, Laura. I agree a thousand percent. (laughs) I love love questions. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So I do have a, the ending questions. We're almost at the end of our conversation today. Would you like to add anything else or read a passage in your book? Um, 
Well, I would love people to go to my website. I'm going to go do some more updates to it, but I love for people to engage my social media. I have a couple of things, but the I have a website. It's my name, uh, so laurasapinosh.com, and it'll help them kind of navigate. I put statistics and a little bit of background of me and information and they can see where to order books from. If they want one directly from me, I have no problem shipping them out. And, um, you know, they can put feedback through there as well. And you can even email me directly from there. Oh, wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. My ending questions. Let me see. I have way too many. I'll ask you this one. How do you define freedom these days, Lara? Oh, well, so I... For myself, freedom is the fact at this point in my life, I am enjoying the fact that my choices are mine. With me, I have my two dogs, and so I can get up and I do my choices of my day I own. I own those choices, and that is freedom. The only things that dictate my day are my two four-legged babies, And outside of that, I don't have anything else that dictates my day. And that's freedom for me. I embrace that. And, you know, if I want to see my go, because my daughters are adults, a young, very vibrant, wonderfully intelligent women. And I, if I want to go see them, I just go see them. If I want to see my parents, if I want to go meet with friends, if I want to travel, I love it. And that's freedom. Mm-hmm. It sounds wonderful to me. That makes so much sense. <laughs> I love that, it. Yeah, it opens up that space for enjoyment, doesn't it? To enjoy Absolutely. this, what life is. So my other question is, what do you love most about being in a human body? What do you enjoy most about being here? Besides that um, freedom. <laughs> besides the freedom? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think part of that is the feeling. We have the ability to make those choices and I can feel all of them. I have feelings, conscious feelings. I have sad days. I have happy days. I have angry days, but I have all of them. I have beautiful days and I embrace every one of them. And, you know, as a survivor, I'm okay with all of them. It's okay if I don't want to be happy today. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with a beautiful day. I love that I can have all of those experiences. So before we say goodbye again, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, definitely my website. For those that are looking for right now, um, I'm Amazon is, uh, most everybody's doing things today online. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, I even saw Target, any online book store, you can find my books right now. And um, I'm always looking for if people have reviews, please feel free to, or send me an email and, and drop me a line. I love to hear from people. Wonderful. Again, I'll have the website link on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, Laura, for your presence, your love and everything else in between that could be felt. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. 
We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Lara M. Sabinosh and her work, please visit larasabinosh.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.